You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 29 West Tolpehawken Street. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. Hopefully by the end of this, you'll see with me that, uh, that God is in everything, um, including us. Therefore, our experience of God and awareness of God must, be, must transcend our solitude and prayer life, not in a contradictory way, but rather complementary. And there will be a time at the end of our talk for some talk back, so um, think about that idea, if you will, and, and, uh, and, and share something, if you want to. But this idea got started for me a couple weeks ago when I was making coffee. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. Last week, Julie was talking about how to, how to make space in our life. A lot of things, but how to, especially how to make space in our life to listen for God. And I want to hit our divine awareness from a different side, from the other side. What happens when I can't or don't slow down or haven't been able to settle into a habitual prayer life? We agree that we need both, for, uh, both skills to develop and to have a deep life with God and each other. And Julie uh, and I are hopefully adding some insight to the question of, what do I need right now? Or to ask it another way. Given my life circumstances, uh, how am I able to know that God is with me? What happens when this is what our life feels like? Have you seen this episode? Between a rock and a hard place? It feels like this sometimes for me. I don't know. Recently, I was caught in a dilemma which is really frustrating and provokes some shame even. I think some of you will be able to relate, so I want to tell you the story. For months, I have wanted to develop my spiritual muscles and, uh, and try different disciplines to create some habit in my life. I, I just believe that's good. And Julie was talking last week about why it's good to have that kind of routine. So I downloaded timer meditation apps. Um, I tried journaling every morning and reading script, scripture repetitively, um, the Electio Divina uh, discipline, if you know it. Um, those things lasted for a couple months, but, um, but my habits weren't sticking, and I couldn't help but feel like my spiritual life uh, was always going to be rudimentary. Eventually, my spiritual habits turned into me waking up an hour or so before Haisa, making coffee, and doing dishes uh, in the downtime until uh, eating breakfast and going to work. This had become my new routine, and I was pretty sad about it. And maybe you can relate here. This stirred up some shame and frustration. Why, why couldn't I do what I set my mind to? Why wasn't God helping? Have any of you felt this before? This almost daily, the almost daily full sink coupled with my desire to sip a hot cup of coffee seemed to pull me away from what I thought was more spiritual and, better, uh, and, and the better desire to have spiritual disciplines. And here is the dilemma. If the circumstances in our lives, uh, preparing space for children, working the night shift irregularly, uh, or just routine household chores are unavoidable, making space for some quiet time can be really difficult. Even though we agree that we need it, in some seasons it just doesn't seem possible. That's just my, my experience. But here's the part that turned it upside down for me. One Friday morning after a week uh, of anxious puttering around the house, God met me. It's funny, too, because that Friday morning I had planned to bring the question of what other spiritual disciplines can I try to my spiritual director. And all of a sudden, I, as I reorganized uh, my overflowing recycling 
bag. Like, why was I doing that, you know? That's, I know. Exactly. But it needed some reorganization, you know? And this is actually post-organization, you know, you should have stopped before. I was, uh, I felt like time had slowed and I was thrown inward for a moment. I experienced this deep knowing that what I was doing was what I was supposed to be doing. That these mundane tasks were more than a mere distraction, but they were my calling. And, and here's what I mean. As I thought more about this, what, what feels like an encounter with God's word, I began to see myself truly and felt compassion. I had just interviewed for a promotion at work. Hayes is finishing her fourth year of medical school, applying, ready to apply. She just took her, her uh, step two exam on Thursday, huge. I serve as a cell leader and coordinator with Circle, and all these things deserve a level of attention that is dutiful, not obliged, you know? And I realized these things I wanted to do were good in their own right, but were less connected to what, were, what was right in front of me, namely an overflowing recycling bin. This also expresses God's word. We believe that God is living and active in our world and lives in everything. I felt that by enjoying the drawn out, pro and I felt that by enjoying the drawn out process of these chores. So having this experience has shown me how important it is to be at peace with the thing I'm doing as if it was what I was supposed to be doing, you know? What, 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 you know what a great feeling that is? To know that you could be a lot of places and doing a lot of different things, but right now what you're doing is actually exactly what you're supposed to be doing. You don't need to be anywhere else, and you shouldn't be, actually. If we could know that, who knows? But to feel that, you know? And maybe some of you have experienced something recently, something that felt like a revelation from God. It'd be great to share that at TalkBack if you wanted to. So I went to my spiritual director, I didn't ask him my question. I had found God in making my coffee, in taking out the trash, and in doing the dishes. And as I reflected on this more, I began to see that my experience was so instilled with God's heart. So travel with me, if you will, to Psalm 90, just verse 4. Thanks, Jeffy. So a thousand years is like a day. That's kind of one of the big ideas that I'm working with here. And there's more to the psalm. But this part and the psalm actually get at what is God's perspective of time like. The psalmist is trying to get us to understand, I think, the way that God experiences time is different than ours. It's not surprisingly much bigger. And look at the end of Psalm 90. Throughout the entire psalm, Moses is writing to remind the reader that compared to God, human life is a blink of an eye. Compared to God's perspective, our days fly by. And with that understanding, Moses asks us, or asks God, rather, make, to make them at least as joyful as they are painful. Not a bad bargain, I think. But running with this idea of God's perspective of time, I want to apply that to Genesis 1, actually. But this is the idea that sparked it. And I want to see that I want to see in creation, God took her time to create with intention and enjoyed that drawn-out process. So in spiritual direction, we talked about uh, Genesis 1 and Psalm 90 and realized that I had been practicing the presence of God in all the things which felt mundane to me. It seems to me that God is already in the ordinary. God cares deeply about the details. So what if a day is like a thousand years? What if 
each day of God's creation took literally thousands of years to create. I think Genesis 1 is doing something more than discussing some cosmic biology about the creation of the universe while giving us a peek at uh, Yahweh's blueprint for Earth. If we look at creation from an evolutionary perspective, we see a God who spent millions of years focusing on some of the most minute details. Look at the Amazon rainforest, for example, spanning 6.7 million square kilometers, which is twice the size of, of India, by the way. Um, the Amazon biome is virtually unrivaled in scale, complexity and opportunity, and truly it's a, it's a region distinguished by superlatives. And from the Wild, World Wildlife Foundation, the Amazon is home to more than 30 million people living across a vast region, nearly 10% of which, 30 million, nearly 10% of which is still made up of indigenous people. 350 ethnic groups, 60 of those 350 still remain largely isolated, don't have contact. And it's protected land too, so they're not supposed to, or at least we're not supposed to go in and make contact. Business Insider reports that in the month of July, Last month, the Amazon has lost 519 square miles of rainforest, which is an area more than twice the size of Tokyo. And if another 20% of the Amazon were to disappear, that could trigger a feedback loop known as, die, as dieback, in which the forest dries out and burns. Can you go next, Jeffy? Oh, there we go. Just some nice pictures of the Amazon, some biodiversity in here. I picked this one because there's, there's, a, there's a little little pond thing right there, a puddle, and there's all those trees and fallen, uh, fallen trees and other kind of brush. Just imagining like the hundreds of insect species and, and other things that live in that, in that environment. So this is, a, this is a map talking about the deforestation of the Amazon right now. The, uh, Brazil, there's several countries that are connected to the Amazon. Uh, Brazil is one of them, and, uh, which actually has the most of it, 60%, um, and, uh, and also has the most deforestation and the fastest increasing amounts. So Yale University actually published a study about this. It highlighted how tropical forests in the world have long been considered to be one of the most important tools in combating climate change. They're fast-growing trees and rich soils, sucking millions of tons of carbon out of the atmosphere every year. A recent study from Yale found that these forests have switched from being carbon sinks that hold the carbon to sources of carbon, releasing an estimated 425 million tons of carbon dioxide every year, more than the annual emissions of, uh, from US cars and trucks combined. The reversal, the study says, is the result of worsening deforestation and a reduction in the density of the tropical forests. Now, National Geographic notes that the new president in, uh, in, in Brazil, Jair Bolsonaro, has promised to open the Amazon for industry and recently slashed funding to environmental and science uh, research groups. This is a problem. Not just for Brazil or South America, but for the world, you know? And so I'm, I'm, I want to form a compassion team to advocate for the Amazon I know a lot of practical things we can do, so come talk to me later if you're interested in being a part of that. In sum, the tropical rainforests are centers of biodiversity. They're, they're, they are the perfect example of God's uh, attention to detail. 
holding an estimated half of the world's plant and animals, many of which have yet to be cataloged. The Amazon contains one in 10 known species on Earth, 40,000 plants, 3,000 freshwater fish, 370 types of reptiles, 2,000 new species of plants and vertebrates, including a monkey that purrs like a cat. All of <laughs> 2,000 new species have been discovered since 1999, too. The Jewish people, writing in the Psalms and, uh, and Genesis, want us to understand that God is at least attuned to the details. That God could have set up the world to run like a business or a machine where he was involved in the startup but stepped back afterward. The whole Bible rebels with intense opposition to that Greek philosophy. The God of the Hebrew scriptures and the Christian, Christian writings are involved in the details of creation and our lives, so much so that the pinnacle of God's plan for restoring a broken, and, uh, broken creation and a traumatized humanity was to become a traumatized human. In Jesus, God was reconciling the world and is back to himself and to each other as it was always intended. And we see this thoughtful and drawn-out pace in Jesus' life, too. So during Talkback, maybe you can contribute some, uh, some ways you see God working out the, in the details of your life or in the life of Jesus. That would be nice. So I would like to ask you to participate now. I want to take a risk here because you don't have to do it. I'd like, to call, I'd like to try a call and response with you. We could consider it a prayer, even, or maybe a song that we sing together. I'll read the portion of scripture in gray, and you, if you want to, will uh, we'll read the orange. Um, a little twist, to connect with our Jewish brothers and sisters, even Jesus, you are going to respond in Hebrew. The pronunciation is pretty simple. So, yeah, it's up there. Thanks, Jeffy. Um, it's Elohim, Ra'ah, or to, uh, Tov. The WB is a V sound. Elohim, Ra'ah, or Tov. And or is not always going to be there. That means light. Um, do you, uh, you want to practice it once? Should we be good. Yeah, can we practice it? Elohim, Ra, Or, Tov. Perfect. Awesome. As you can see, it means God saw the light was good. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Coincidentally, there actually wasn't any uh, uh, claiming that it was good on the second day. Doesn't mean it wasn't, just not in the text. So we're going to skip that one. Jeffy, thank you. Then God said, let the waters below and the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the gathering of the waters he called seas. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, planting seeds, plants yielding seeds and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them after their kind and the trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. Awesome. You guys are really getting the pronunciation down. God made, two, made the two lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. The 
Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created with the great, God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarmed after their kind, and every winged bird after its kind. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. There was evening and there was morning, a fifth day. Then God said, Let us make man, mankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let us rule over the fish of the sea and, the, uh, and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and every other creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And a deviation this time, Me'od. So let's do it together. Elohim Ra'atov Me'od. It was very good. That was great. Thanks for doing that. Nope. Nope. Back. Thanks. We're almost coordinated. Look back at Genesis 1. Looking back, I can see myself making coffee in the exact same way God created the world. God put his hands in in the dirt and breathed life into her creation. God mused over each day with joyous reflection, maybe even a spontaneous exclamation that was uncontrollable. It is good. On that morning where God told me that I was okay where I was, I realized also, and I did confirm this with Haisa, this is pretty cool, that I, I had unknowingly mused over my coffee after making it, time, making the t- taking the time to make it with a spontaneous exclamation, mmm, that's good. What if that kind of joy could be experienced in all the things which, which have to get done? What if we saw our tasks as callings and invitations from God to life with more joy in it, to bring order to chaos, from chaos, to bring life into death, to bring peace to anxiety and harmony to discord? What if our mundane tasks are a part of God building this community into one which recognizes the deep truth that God is present with us in all that we do and are. And maybe that before God has called us to save the world, he's called us to do the dishes. Maybe. And what if we looked at our neighbor's trivial contributions as something significant too, as as gifts from uh, our others which contribute to our own wholeness? I was thinking about this uh, last weekend. I went to the espresso bar in Germantown. And, um, and, uh, uh, the barista's coffee um, decaf pour-over that he made me was, uh, was, was, was a labor of love, which blessed me. And isn't that what the flowers of the field are? And the sunset? And the birds who alert us to the sun's rising with their symphonic sonatas every morning? Of course, these individual moments are not just for nurturing our joy, but they're at least that. Maybe somebody would have said to God, You're wasting your time creating fields that no eye is ever going to see. Why would God create with such detail? God might say, because I love creating. I love beauty. I love the way that they interact and how we experience it all together. Maybe it's as simple as it was fun for God. And maybe 
there is space for our anxiety to be relieved in the, God, in the presence of the God who provides for us all that we need. The point here is that God may have taken a lot of time to create the universe. And I think God, God did this for two reasons. That God really loves creating, like enjoys it, and wanted to draw out that process. And two, because God actually wanted to create so well that she took her time. I think that we can have this kind of mind when we do our work too. To want to do it well and to find the joy which comes from trusting that God is with us. Listen, listen to this poem by Mary Oliver. It's called, When the Roses Speak, I Pay Attention. As long as we are able to be extravagant, we will be hugely and damply extravagant. Then we will drop foil by foil to the ground. This is our unalterable task, and we do it joyfully. And they went on, listen. The heart shackles are not as you think. Death, illness, pain, unrequited hope, not loneliness, but lassitude, rue, vain glory, fear, anxiety, selfishness. Their fragrance all the while rising from their blind bodies, making me spin with joy. Consider with me as you're tying your kid's shoes or making the morning coffee or helping your kid with their homework or driving to work or typing up the progress report or whatever, that it might be like God creating the world. However difficult it may be to find joy in that mundane task, do you think you could quiet the, the inner critic a little longer and listen for God who may be whispering, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. Do this well and enjoy the process of creating and bringing, out, bringing order out of chaos. And maybe even exclaim, it is good as you revel in your completed task. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.